If you have a Bible, I want you to make your way to the New Testament book, 1 Corinthians. We're going to be studying in chapter 3, and uh, we'll pick it up in chapter 2. So uh, chapter 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now as we've, uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've begun our study in, in, this, uh, in 1 Corinthians, and as the story goes that we've talked about before, it's somewhere between five and eight years before this letter was written that Paul comes to this town. It's a Greek town. It's a very permissive culture. It's a very wealthy town and uh, lots of temples. The main temple was the temple of Aphrodite, who was the goddess of sex and love. And so Corinth, being a Greek town, is going to be very, very different than the conservative Jerusalem. And so Paul comes to this town and he begins a Bible study with those who would would listen. And, And over time he establishes a church. The church begins to grow. And after 18 months, Paul realizes it's time to hand it off to somebody else. He hands it off to the next pastor and Paul continues his missionary journey. Well, Over a couple of years, again, somewhere between five to eight years after Paul comes to this this town, he's off again doing missionary work, and uh, the church is going along, but within the church, they realize that something's not right. Some things have changed, and they feel like they've, they've been missing something. And uh, they're seeing things within the church, and they're saying, is this right? Is this wrong? So they gather together, and they send a delegation to go find Paul the Apostle with a list of questions. Paul, could you answer these questions? We want to get it right. So they go, and they find Paul, and uh, Paul hears what's going on in the church. He hears their questions, and he says, I'm going to answer your questions, but first, we need to talk about the real issues going on within the church. That's why there on your outline, we'll, we'll see it says in chapter 7, Paul's going to say, now concerning the things which you wrote. So Paul's going to take the first six chapters to talk about the real issues going on within the church. And you'll recall two weeks ago, Paul dealt with the issue of divisions within the church, people polarizing against one another. And then last week, Paul dealt with the second issue, and we won't go into it today, but, but they had forgotten how God works, that God chose to use a cross, and uh, that God chooses to use very common people. And uh, they were thinking that, that they, needed, they needed to stay away from talking about the cross. Uh, they were beginning to think that only God could use special people, so Paul talked about that. And so Paul, in this section is writing to address problems. And today, Paul is going to introduce us to three people, or three groups of people, two which we met last week. Uh, We didn't talk about it a whole lot, and uh, we're going to go through this, but I have to say on the front end that um, there's much more that can be said, but in the interest of time, we won't be able to talk about everything. And also, uh, because of what we're going to talk about, I can't give a lot of examples, because if I do, people are going to go, oh, you're talking about me. And so we're, we're going to have to be very careful what we say. So um, I'm not talking about anybody, okay? So uh, just, just put that out there. Everybody good so far? All right, we're going to pick it up in chapter 2. Now, I put the verses that we're going to look at in chapter 2 on your outline. You can either read in your Bible or on your outline, um, but if, either way. So the first person that we're going to meet today is called the unbeliever, the unbeliever. And uh, some of your Bibles will call this person the natural man. Uh, Some will call this person without the Spirit, without the Holy Spirit. So there in your outline, very quickly, as uh, we go through, just underline a couple of things. He says, now the man without the Spirit does not, underline, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are 
foolishness to him, underline that, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And uh, you'll notice I put the Greek word there on your outline, anacrino, and uh, we'll talk about that in just a couple of moments. But uh, the word there just means discerned. So we notice that the the non-believer does not accept things from the Spirit of God. And uh, they make no sense to him. As a matter of fact, the, the things of God are considered foolishness to unbelievers. We all have people in our life who look at us and they go, why in the world are you going to church every Sunday morning? Why are you learning about God? Why are you serving? Well, you know, all of these things, it makes no sense to them. They think you're out of your mind. It's a great day. You should be at the beach, something like that. It just makes no sense to them. And um, what makes no sense to a believer uh, makes perfect sense to a non-believer. What makes sense to a non-believer makes no sense to... Uh, yeah, yeah, that, it, just, it doesn't, it, whatever I, I was saying. So now, now here, here's why. And, um, and you know this too, if you've ever tried, uh, you see these arguments on Facebook, for those of you who are on Facebook, you know, some believer puts something out, some unbeliever attacks, and you think that you're going to win this argument. They can't understand. They can't, it doesn't make sense. Their, their eyes aren't open spiritually yet. And the reason, and, and I had you, uh, the very last word there of that verse is discerned. And the last line, it says, because they are spiritually discerned. So the reason it makes no sense is that the things that the believer holds to have to be spiritually discerned. And uh, there in your outline, that word discern, some of your translations would say judge. Again, the, the Greek word is anacrino, uh, and I'm using that for a reason we'll see in a minute, but it just means to properly to scrutinize by implication, to investigate, interrogate, determine, uh, ask, question, discern, examine, judge, or search. So some things have to be seen through a spiritual lens. And uh, if if that lens isn't open, it's going to make absolutely no sense. So being in a battle with somebody on peripheral issues uh, before they come to the Lord is is fruitless and it wastes a lot of time. So here at Calvary, because of that, we want to create an environment where you can bring your friends who might right now be unbelievers, where they can come in, they can check out the claims of God. And uh, we want to do things in a way that would be appropriate, but we don't tailor everything we do to, to speak to those who right now cannot hear it. So we always focus in on teaching the Bible and thing, things of that nature. And so our prayer is that for our friends who are unbelievers that God opens their eyes just as he opened our eyes because the truth is there was a time when we were all unbelievers and God did something. He opened our eyes and somehow we saw we need Jesus and we accepted and our lives have been forever changed. And so that, that's uh, what, what we see. So it needs to be seen through a spiritual lens. The second person that we're going to see is just the next verse in chapter two and we're gonna call this the spiritual person. Now this is the, the spiritually mature person. This is where we wanna be. There on your outline it says, but he who is spiritual appraises, and then you see that word anacrino again, or it could also be translated as discerns all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. And then Paul says, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we, and I want you to underline, have the mind of Christ. Now this is for the, the spiritually mature people, a uh, person, this is not just a believer, but somebody who is a mature believer. And you notice there where it says verse 16, it says, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him. And the idea that Paul is making, the idea that he's conveying is that the spiritually mature person is not trying to instruct the Lord, God, this is how you should be. But the spiritually mature person is saying, Lord, you instruct me and I will adjust to that. And that's the idea. 
So um, there on your outline where he says in verse 16, says, but we have the mind of Christ. So here's what this means. Having the mind of Christ, the spiritually mature person sees from God's perspective. Go ahead and write that down. And they just see things a little bit differently from God's perspective. And then um, the reason that they would see from God's perspective are very, very differently than uh, an unbeliever, uh, but the, the mature person uh, sees from a different perspective, from God's perspective, perspective, uh, because uh, they have been maturing, and I want you to write this down, by a solid spiritual diet. And this will be important as we travel through. Paul would say, there on your outline, he says, anyone who lives on milk, spiritually speaking here, uh, right here, being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food, again, he's speaking about spiritual solid food, is for the mature, who by constant use, underline that, have, been, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Good from evil. And then Paul says, so therefore let us go on and leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. And Paul ties maturity to taking in a very, very solid spiritual diet. You and I know that as the word of God. In verse 15, he says that the, the spiritual man appraises all things. That word anacrino can also be translated as discerns or discernment. So one of the marks that we'll find of the spiritually mature, and write this down, is just that this, uh, a, mark of this, um, a mark of maturity is spiritual discernment. Spiritual discernment. If you had a literal translation, it translates it like this. I put it on your outline. He who is spiritual doth discern indeed all things. So the spiritual man is somebody who has been taking in a very solid spiritual diet, their perspective is changing. They're not instructing God. God is instructing them. They are growing. And uh, now there is a spiritual discernment. Now very quickly write this down. You have to speed right here. By training in God's word, the spiritual man can discern between good and evil, can discern between truth and error, and can discern what's from God and what's not. What's from God and what's not. So as you grow in your walk with the Lord, you're going to have your perspective changed. Uh, many of us this week, we've seen lots of things happen in our country. Certain religious leaders are in town. They're saying things. Certain politicians are saying things. Lots of people saying things. Some people saying it's the greatest thing in the whole world. Other people are saying, not so sure. Those who know what their Bible says uh, certainly have a certain perspective on that. That's all I'm going to say. We're just going to move on from there. So, so Paul says you have the you have the non-believer, and then you have the spiritually mature, spiritually mature. And uh, but Paul says, but the person I want to talk about today is what we're going to call the carnal believer, the carnal believer. Go ahead and write that down. Now we're going to pick it up in chapter three. Now it's important to understand that what we just looked at was the last couple of verses of chapter two. This is now going to be the first couple of verses of chapter three. There is no break in Paul's writing. When Paul wrote this, he wasn't writing chapter one, verse one. He just simply wrote. And so a thousand years after the Bible was completed, somebody went through and they started putting in chapters and verses. That's so I could say, turn to chapter, verse, and we all turn to the same place. But it wasn't written with chapters and verses in it. Does that make sense? So when we come to chapter 3, verse 1, it's just the next line in Paul's writing. In his mind, there was no break. That was put in later on. So I'm going to pick it up in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3, 
with your pen in hand. We'll underline, I'm going to read through the first five verses, and then we'll come back and talk about what Paul really wants to talk about today. And I, brethren, underline the word brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, or to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. Some of your Bibles would say babes in Christ. He says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy, and some of your Bibles will say envy, and strife among you, and then some of your Bibles add the word divisions, are you not yet fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? For if one says, I'm of Paul, and another says, I'm of Apollos, Paul was the first pastor, Apollos was the second pastor, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? But servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. So, Here in this passage, Paul introduces us to the next person, which is called, we would call the carnal believer. And hopefully if I had to write that down or I didn't, but write down carnal believer. If you've been around the church for any length of time, you've heard the term carnal believer. Uh, Modern translations use a little bit different word, but from the old King James or the new King James, there in your outline, he says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. And uh, so you see that word carnal. The word carnal just means fleshly. For instance, when you make chili, you make chili con carne. Uh, carne just means chili with meat. And so it's just fleshly. It's just meat. So the idea is, is that um, you know, you just, you're living like a non-believer, essentially, is what he's saying. But he calls them brothers, which means that they are believers. They're born again. They're saved. But they certainly don't look anything like spiritual people. They look and they act very much like non-believers. Yes, they're believers, but they're acting and they're looking very much like the non-believers. And so as Paul talks about this, for those of you who grew up in the church, you'll know that, that you probably grew up in an environment where it talked about carnal believers, and then they would give you a list as to what it means to be carnal and what it means to be spiritual, and different churches had different lists. And uh, the church that I was in before I came to Calvary is a wonderful church, but you had to sign a covenant. Part of the covenant was that if you go to this church, you will not dance. And uh, so there was no dancing. Now, I grew up in a church that we had sock hops. Now, sock hops, for those of you who don't know, most amazing thing in the whole world, you'd you'd all dress up like you're in the 1950s, you play the music, and all the guys dress up like Fonzie. So that was uh, lots of fun. Um, Some churches, very popular in the Midwest, they will talk about spiritual hairstyles. And um, I have a friend, and she got saved in, in a church. It was a, a church where most people dress, for lack of a better way of saying it, um, they dress like pilgrims. And so she comes to this church, and she had come from somewhat of a past, and she had this really amazing wild blonde hair. You know, it was just, it was big, it was everywhere, it was very, very cool. She shows up in her black leather outfit, and she comes to church, she hears the message, God changes her life. She says, I I want that. She walks forward. They did altar calls in that church. She gives her life to Christ and the ladies come around her. They pray with her. And and as soon as they're done praying, one of the ladies turns to her and says, and now we have to get you a spiritual or a Christian hairstyle. And she looked at all the ladies in the church and they all wore one hairstyle. It was very long, but it was in a bun. They never colored it in any way. And she almost went back into the world. But, uh, so, but no, God's bigger than that. God used it, but she, she loves to tell that, that story. Some, some churches will tell you, and I come from a, a 
denominational background where I went to seminary. The seminary was not like this, but when you get out in some of the churches, they would say, you can't wear makeup because that's worldly, that's fleshly. My position is you'll always be told to not wear makeup by somebody who desperately needs it. Billy Graham, <laughs> Billy Graham, Billy Graham used to say, if the barn needs painting, paint it. And I would only add, sometimes it needs two coats. So some places will say that women, when they wear dresses, the dresses have to be at least two inches below the knee. And then other places would say, if you're going to be spiritual, the dresses have to go all the way down to the ground. And uh, uh, what's very popular in some cultures, church cultures, is to wear denim dresses that go all the way down to the ground, and everybody does that. Uh, some would say, well, you can't go to movies if you go to this church. And some would say, well, you can go to movies, but you can't go to R-rated movies. Some would say, well, you can't, you know, we don't go to R-rated movies. Uh, you, you can go to PG movies or PG-13. Someone say G movies, you know, we can go to G movies and that's the only one you can go to. And I personally don't ever go to movies at all. It has nothing to do with religious uh, perspective or anything like that. I have 11 kids. It's like paying a mortgage payment when I go. So <laughs> we don't go to movies. So some would say, you know, you, you can never smoke. And if, you, if you've ever smoked a cigarette or you do smoke a cigarette, that's something that, that you do, or you smoke a cigar or a pipe, then, you know, you, you know they would consider you to be carnal. I, I personally don't believe that those things make you carnal. Uh, I, I don't smoke, but I don't think that they make you carnal. Somebody will come to me and say, Pastor, will smoking cigarettes send me to hell? You know, my response, and you're very familiar with it, no, but it might make you smell like you've been there. But I don't think that it's necessarily evil. You know, you, you let the Lord. Some would say you can never have any alcohol at all. You can have a glass of wine, nothing ever. And uh, what's always interesting is that the people that say that then turn around and they read their kids' books by C.S. Lewis, who drank brandy every single day of his life. And so some have that conviction. Um, now, we come from a Calvary Chapel. Calvary Chapel was started by a man named Chuck Smith. Chuck Smith grew up as a Pentecostal. Now, in Pentecostal churches, it's very common for people to say you can't drink coffee because coffee has caffeine. Caffeine is a drug, and if you, you know, so you don't want to have anything but God's spirit, so they would not drink coffee. Chuck Smith married a girl who didn't grow up in a Pentecostal uh, background, and so she drank coffee. Her church, you know, they like our church, they, they serve coffee. So it was very tough for Chuck uh, with the whole coffee thing. So they had an agreement that his wife could have one cup of coffee in the house in the morning, but the second cup she had to go down to the corner coffee shop to get more coffee. And uh, for whatever, that was, that was an issue for, for him. Now here at Calvary, just so you know, not only do we endorse coffee, <laughs> we push it. So whatever we can do to get you as much caffeine as we can, we want to get you going. So it's common in church world, and if you've been around the church for any length of time, to know that there's a lot of things that the Bible doesn't really talk about, but churches will say, this is how we define what it means to be carnal. We're going to look at the carnal believer here today, carnal, carnal believer here today, and what we're going to find is none of the things that we have pointed to in church world are on Paul's list of what it means to be carnal. So uh, we're going to look at that today. So uh, first of all, verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. He says, brethren, they're believers, but he says they're infants. Some of your translations would say babes in Christ. So a carnal believer is an infant in Christ. Go ahead and write that down. 
there are two reasons why people are infants in Christ. The first reason is that they're brand new believers. They're brand new believers. And you want to write that down. And then you want to write down, that's good. They're brand new. We all come to Christ. We're all infants in Christ. We're all babes in Christ. We all start at the same place. In our house, as you know, we have uh, the twins who are almost three and Sunday who is three, seven months older than the twins. And uh, they're all in the same room. When they were about a year old, between a year and 18 months, I would, and the room's next to our bedroom. So I would walk out of our bedroom and in the morning they would be there, they have their diapers on and they're holding onto their crib and they start jumping when they see me. And they go, da-da, da-da, da-da. And uh, I go, hi guys, how are you? And they get all, of ex- all excited and all that. And um, I'll say things like to them, I'll say, where's Jesus? And they'll do this, like this. And I go, say hallelujah. And they go like this. And then I go, who's the cutest baby in the whole wide world? And they go, me, like that. So we had kind of like this ritual. And um, then I would smell <laughs> the essence that emanates, you know. And I think, did your mama feed you chili last night? What happened here? So anyways, you know, then it'd be time to change, change the diaper. If I reached for their teddy bear or their toy, they would go, mine, like that. Now, at 18 months, a year old, 18 months, that was cute. I'd grab my phone. I'd take videos of it. It was the cutest thing in the whole world. That's just part of being, of being a baby, and, and, and we all start there. Now, so some are babes in Christ because they're brand new. Others are babes in Christ, and you want to write this down, because they never grew up, and that's bad. That's bad. Paul went to Corinth, this town of Corinth, somewhere between five and eight years earlier, And in verse 2, he says, you know, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, and for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you're not yet able. So something's happened along the way. They've never grown up. So imagine it's been five, eight years or so after the twins are born, Sunday's born. I come out of the bedroom. As I walk by the bedroom, they've got the same three boys there. And all of a sudden, I I look inside, they see me, they're still in a crib, and they're still jumping up and down, and they go, da-da, da-da. Okay, this is a little odd. And then I say, all right, guys, uh, where's Jesus? They go, ha. Well, they're seven or eight years old at this point. I go, and who's the cutest little man? Me, 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 like that. And then I also notice that there's still a smell coming from the bedroom. And, you know, here's the thing. I would say, are you, are you still doing that? You see, what was cute at a year or 18 months at seven or eight years of age is now a developmental problem. And, and so as I would look on, all of a sudden, you know, I, I would feel like you know, something has happened. Something has happened here. And so um, it's just very natural for the believer to, to grow up. And this is, this is something that um, I just totally lost my place in my notes does anybody know where I am? Oh, here I am. Here I am. Here I am. Oh, so. This is very embarrassing. I should grow up by now. So some of us, some of us, if we found that happening, we, we, would, we would, you know, that, that would be, we'd realize there's a developmental problem. Now, now, here's why. Some of us have had children, and those children, for whatever reason, 
Something has been a problem they've not been able to develop naturally, whether it's emotionally or intellectually or or physically. And for the parent, that's heartbreaking as they look on. Now, the love of the parent never changes for the child, but, but we always expected that it would be different, that that would go on. And so there's a heartbreak that's attached to that. So as Paul looks at this church, it's not that God doesn't love these people. It's not that Paul doesn't love these people, but, but he's concerned that they never grew up. And so what we're going to find here then, uh, as far as the characteristics of the carnal believer, the first characteristic that we're going to find, you want to write this down, is that they can only accept spiritual milk. They can only accept spiritual milk. Once again, in verse 2, he says, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. They've never been able to go beyond God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Here's how you build better relationships and here's how you manage your finances. It's just the very, very basics of the Christian faith. They've never gone on. What we've noticed, and God loves to compare us to to babies. Uh, When a baby is born, a baby is born very naturally. They're hungry. And in our family, it typically goes like this. You have the baby and every three hours, very systematically, you're feeding the child. After a while, that goes to about every six hours, but you're adding the ounces that you're feeding the child as their capacity, as their capacity grows. Ultimately, as they continue to develop, their, their appetite continues to grow. For those of you who have teenagers, you kind of know how this works. Uh, this past week, we took our kids to uh, Chick-fil-A, and uh, we have one son, Noah, you, you, if Maybe you've met him, but Noah's like the friendliest kid in the world. He's also never been full in his life. So when we go to a restaurant, if there's anything left over, Noah just like, are you done with that? So we just know that if there's any fries or chicken you know, nuggets or whatever, bread, ketchup, anything, just, just feed it to Noah and he eats it. So we go there, everybody's eating, Noah's eating his food, then he's eating everybody else's food. We drive home, it's like 20 minutes home, and he comes up and he goes, uh, uh, Dad, uh, you mind if I cook some eggs? I'm really hungry. I'm like, no, it's 15 minutes ago. I, I'm putting that out there. I just want, am I the only one? Or if some, have you, you had any kids that are like that? It's, it's incredible, isn't it? Well, see, that's a very, very natural thing. What we realize is that Noah's about to go through a growth spurt. I'm kind of concerned what he's going to look like in the next year. So, Hi, Dad. That kind of thing. So we're feeding him now. But that's the idea. Now, now, for whatever reason, these believers have gone away. They've lost their appetite for the Word of God, and they're drifting into just about everything else. And uh, the way that I, I would explain this would be, imagine today that if uh, Cheryl were to come to me and she were to say, you know, I'm going home during the, the third service, and I want you to come home after church because I'm making a steak. It's been marinating all morning. I'm making a baked potato, making a salad, has all the stuff in it, favorite dressings and all that. So come home, come home hungry because it's all going to be there ready for you when you walk through the door. So I'm all excited. So I say hi to everybody, goodbye to everybody, and finally get in the car. I'm heading out the door, heading home. And as I'm going by McDonald's, I notice there in the window, they have a sign. And it says, cheeseburgers, 39 cents. And I think to myself, it would be like bad stewardship not to stop by, you know, 39 cents. So I go in, I have $5, and I go, I'll take 10 burgers and a small drink, which you can refill and refill. So I I sit down and I eat the 10 burgers. I stuff myself with the burgers. I go home. And let me ask you a question. No matter how great the meal is that Cheryl has made, 
Am I going to have any appetite for it? I'm not going to have any appetite for it because I've already stuffed myself. Many times for the carnal believer, and I wouldn't be able to go in and say, honey, I don't like your food. I just have to say, you know, I'm not, not really hungry for it. It's not really, just not, not really hungry at this point. God has made us to be spiritually hungry. When a believer says, you know, I, I just, I, you know, I'm not really hungry for it. Typically what it means is that believer, we'd say a carnal believer, has been stuffing themselves with the things that we would say the world all week so that now there's no hunger. They can't take any more in. Sometimes to get that hunger back, we're going to have to eject some of the things of the world in our life to get that hunger back. And uh, if that's you then, and the Lord's saying something to you, then, then be, be that at it, as it may. But they had been begun on the word of God, but now they've drifted from that, and now there's not that hunger. That makes sense? The next thing we're going to find is that in this church that they now have, uh, Paul says, for you are still, this would be the second thing as far as a carnal believer, for you are still fleshly since there is jealousy. Now some of your Bibles will say jealousy, verse 3, and some of your Bibles will say envy. In English, we have these words and we use one word, but sometimes in another language, the word is so much bigger than can be translated. You take one word and you've got to translate it another word, but it, it's a bigger word than what we translate into the English. So I've taken the definition for this word and, and hopefully to, to show what, what's really going on here. Paul looks on at this church. He says, in my translation, it says envy. Some translations say jealousy. The word there in the original language is the word zealous. And with your pen in hand, it means, uh, this is from Thayer's uh, Bible Dictionary, it means an envious and contentious rivalry. Underline that. And this is going on in the church. And, uh, and then it goes on to say jealousy now with, under, underline, outbursts and manifestations. They're so angry they can't even hold it together when they see that person. Now, that's from Thayer's. You go to Strong's, and uh, the word zealous means heat, uses jealousy, but also it can be translated as malice. And I want you to underline that word malice. I want to talk about that. Envying, also indignation. Underline that word indignation, jealousy, zeal. And this is all going on in the church. Now it translates as jealousy or envy in your Bible. But the idea, like when it talks about malice, the word malice means a hatred, a spite, a meanness, a nastiness. This is people in the church. Indignation means anger, resentment, and outrage. So something has happened in the lives of some of these people that's caused them to not be able to grow anymore. So let me say it like this. Go ahead and write this down. I got hurt, I never forgave, and I never got over it. And now I'm bitter. Have you ever met a bitter believer? Here's what happens. These are Christians in the church, they've become, they, they've become hurt by somebody, and they've never allowed the Lord to work through them. They've never offered forgiveness. They believe I was rightfully, I am right to hold on to this because this person did this to me, and now they just become bitter. And what it does when you and I hold on to unforgiveness, when we hold on to bitterness, it stops spiritual growth. It stops spiritual growth. If you've never been hurt by another believer, it's because you've only been in church about 10 minutes. People are going to let you down. They're going to hurt you. They're, they're not going to be who you thought they were. And, and yet God calls us to forgive them, to love them, and to release it, to release it. 
Many times what we do is we rehearse it, nurse it, and curse it, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and, and it stops us from growing. You don't want that to be you. Paul says that's what's stopping some of your growth. The next thing is, number three, is strife. Quarrel, wrangling, contention, debate, strife, variance. And for this person, uh, we, we would define this as saying, for this believer, something is always wrong. Something's always wrong. They just can't be made happy. They, they just, no matter what it is, they're just unhappy. And uh, I'm not going to talk about that anymore because then I'd start uh, giving examples. So I'm just going to move on. You ever, you ever met a believer, they're, they're just never happy about anything? There's always something wrong? Never mind. Let's just go on. So then finally, um, no, number four, there is uh, divisions. Uh, we would call this a break in, in fellowship, a break in fellowship. Now in verse three, some of your Bibles use the word divisions. How many of your Bibles have the word divisions in it? Verse three, anybody? A couple over here, okay. And uh, how many of your Bibles don't have the word divisions? Okay, yeah, so some of your Bibles have that, some don't. The word there in the original language, divisions, is dicostasia. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, disunion, dissension, division, sedition. But I want you to underline where it says, especially a political revolt. This is, this is a riot, this is what's going on here. And uh, if your Bible doesn't have that word divisions in the third verse, that's okay. Paul's going to give us in verses four and five what he's talking about. He says, when one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? Again, Paul was the first pastor. Apollos was the second pastor. They did things very, very different. What then is Apollos? And what is Paul but servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one? So here's what's going on. You have in the church in Corinth, they only had one church, you have this heated division in within the church. And now they're, they're so divided, not over theology, not over truth and error, but somebody's doing it differently. They're so divided that they can't speak to one another. And the word defined means a political revolt. So this is like a, like a riot. And so you have two very godly ministers, but they're doing things very, very differently. And carnal believers have a way of looking at how it's being done. I don't like how it's being done. And because you're not doing it the way that I like it to be done, because my pastor, my minister of choice does it this way, you're not doing it that way. So you must be in sin. You must be wrong. And so now there's this division and there's this antagonism. That makes sense? Now, um, again, in the interest of time. So they're breaking fellowship, not over truth and error, but over this one's doing it this way and this one's doing it the other way, which sometimes that happens. Sometimes we feel very comfortable in a certain church environment here at Calvary. We teach through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, week in and week out. It's pretty much what we do. The guys that I'm closest to in ministry around the community, they do it very different. They do it very different. I love them. They love me. They love us. But we do things very different. You, you, you probably feel more comfortable if you're here in a church that teaches the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Now, secretly, I think we're better and we're right. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's not something that we divide on. You know, we love each other. We, they do it this way, so we don't let that be something. Now, if somebody doesn't believe that Jesus is God, that's a whole different, that's a whole different issue. So Paul says, why are you dividing over this? We're, again, we're out of time, so I have to close very quickly. But, but my favorite Bible story of, of how ministers do it differently comes from the Old Testament. 
And it's, it's one of those things that helped bring clarity for me years and years ago. In the time period in the Old Testament, there was what was called the Babylonian captivity, where Nebuchadnezzar takes God's people to, uh, to Babylon, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and all those. And after a time period, they're allowed to go back into Israel. So God's people come back into Israel, but as they come back, they begin to do some things that, that God frowns on. One of the things that they're doing is you have believers and they are marrying non-believers, which is a no-no in the Old Testament. It's a no-no in the New Testament. So this is going on and Ezra shows up. So there in your outline, it says how Ezra does it. Now with your pen in hand, it says, Ezra says, you know, they've taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons and have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them. The issue was believer, non-believer. And the leaders of the officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. And so he says, now here's your pen in hand. He says, when I heard it, I tore my tunic, underline that, and cloak and pulled the hair from my head, my head, and beard, and sat down appalled. Everybody see that? This is classic because here's Ezra, and Ezra shows up, and they're doing this. As he goes out into the square, and he sees it. He starts tearing his clothing. He's pulling out his beard. You guys are in sin, sin, sin. And he sits down, and everybody looks on, and they go, wow, he's really serious. He's really, we, we better repent. He's really serious. Okay, that's how Ezra does it. A few years later, Another guy comes to town and they're back doing the same exact thing. Believers are marrying non-believers, that sort of thing. And his name is Nehemiah. I love Nehemiah. So Nehemiah shows up. Nehemiah has a different personality and a different style of ministry. He says, and I rebuked them and called curses down on them. Now, here's the part you want to underline. I beat some of the men and I pulled out their hair. Underline that, yeah. And I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons for yourselves. So here's Nehemiah. He shows up, he starts grabbing people. He's like pulling their beard out and pulling their hair out. What are you doing? You're in sin, shaking their head like this. And everybody looks at him and says, whoa, he's really serious. We better repent. And they do. So here's the question. Which one's right? Is it right for one to pull his hair out or the other one to pull everybody else's hair out. Here at Calvary, my position is, if somebody has to have their hair pulled out, it's not mine. (laughs) People say, Pastor, you ever been suicidal? No, I have been homicidal, but never suicidal. (laughs) Somebody's got to die, it ain't me. So here's the idea. Two guys God uses, they both bring about revival, they accomplish the same thing, but they do it very, very differently. Does that make sense? These carnal believers couldn't understand that sometimes some people do it differently and they were dividing over that difference. We're out of time. I have to close in prayer and and we have to be done. Thanks for uh, putting up. Let's pray. Father, uh, here we are today and as we're closing this, here's what we know. There are three types of people. Some are unbelievers. And Father, we pray that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they would have the ability to see and to receive just like you gave to each and every one of us. If that's you here today, you have the opportunity today to receive Jesus into your life. Just invite him in, accept that he died on the cross for you. Like a, like a brand new baby, you're not going to have it all worked out. You're not going to have it all figured out. That just begins. After the service, there's going to be some prayer partners standing by. They would love to pray with you. Don't leave here today without knowing that you know that you know that you know that that relationship is settled. 
For some, you're, you're mature believers, you're doing great, continue on. For some of us, as we went through this today, we realize that we're believers, but we've lost our hunger for the word of God. And the truth is, we've allowed some things to come into our life that are filling us up. And so we're no longer hungry when God's word is, is present. Uh, for some of us, when we were talking about being hurt by other people and it's stopping us from growing, all of a sudden that picture of that person popped into our mind. And we know exactly who it is. We know exactly the situation. And we know that we have to release it. We have to forgive. We have to allow the Lord to do his work in our life. Because if we don't, we'll never be a mature believer. We, we can't grow, no matter how badly they've hurt us. And for some, we've polarized and divided, not over essentials. Jesus is God, one way to heaven. The Bible is the word of God. We've polarized over methodologies. And we've been part of even attacking. And today we purpose to trust the Lord and allow him to do his work in whatever situation. And as we do that, God's then able to take us. As we say, God, just take my life. Do with it as you see fit. And bring us on to that place of maturity. Father, keep us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.